and welcome to another Fuzz on Film podcast. I am Drew Davendale. With me this evening, Mr. Scott Morris. Hello there. Now, if you were to visit Wikipedia, home of lists, which I think makes up a good 50% of Wikipedia, you will find a list of monster films. On a list of monster films, you will find that one type of creature above all others seems to dominate, and that is the sharks. Short shrift is given to their perenemies, the jets, but sharks seem to dominate, perhaps because they have been mankind's enemy for a long, long time. Well, probably not actually, because I think for a long, long time, mankind was smart enough not to get in the water, but (laughs) they do seem to hold something of a fascination in the mind. So we decided for no reason at all, really, that uh, this month for our compare and contrast, we would compare to shark films. Sharks are cool. Sharks are quite cool, but not just because they're cold-blooded and live in cold oceans. <sighs> yeah, I'm actually sorry. So we are going to cover, like, the archetypal shark film, Jaws, as well as 1998's Deep Blue Sea. So, without further ado, because really, my doing tonight is very, very bad, <laughs> we'll just get down to it. So, Jaws. Do I really need to explain the plot of this? Is there anyone who doesn't know? Well, I suppose that, just in case, I should give at least a brief recap. Shark. There you go. <laughs> well, bad o- shark, Drew. Bad, bad shark. <laughs> well, okay then. Cello playing shark. There you go, Jaws. And really, to be slightly less flippant, the setup of Jaws is very simple. And... Frankly, that's a large part of why it's so successful. It's your classic story of girl meets shark, shark eats girl, girl loses life, shark meets meat. <laughs> Roy Scheider is Martin Brody, the police chief of the small beach community of Amity Island in New England. When a girl dies in an apparent shark attack, Brody wants to close the beaches until the creature is dealt with, but is persuaded not to by the business-oriented mayor and the medical examiner who has recanted his initial cause of death and now claims the girl was killed by a boat propeller. Needless to say, Mr. Bitey is soon back, snacking on the holidaying humans kind enough to put themselves in the ocean for his dining pleasure. The island then sees an influx of reporters and shark hunters, and one of the latter captures a specimen large enough to put everyone's mind at ease that the man-eater has been dealt with. Everyone, that is, except Chief Brody and shark fanatic Matt Hooper, Richard Dreyfus, but their protestations are not enough to persuade the mayor to permit the closure of the beaches on the monetarily important 4th of July weekend. Cue more chompiness, and the beaches are finally closed, and Robert Shaw's gnarled fisherman Quint employed to hunt and kill the fish. Jaws, based on the best-selling 1974 novel of the same name by Peter Benchley, who also gets a writing credit for the film, is only Steven Spielberg's second theatrical film, but it's a masterpiece and I'd argue still has a strong claim to being his best film. There are reasons for that, and a lot of it is to do with what he doesn't do, I guess. Because one of the most remarkable and successful features of Jaws is just how much restraint is shown in so many aspects. The people of the town, while shocked by the events, never become hysterical, and while certainly there is gore, the severed limbs are seen relatively sparingly, and the camera tends not to linger. While 40 years has had a lot of effect on the number of grisly images we can see without blinking an eye, 
The more modern tendency to splatter the gore and really linger on mutilation would add absolutely nothing to Jaws. Keeping with the townspeople for a moment, while the mayor is a fool and far too ready to accept the first shark caught as that responsible for the killings, its motives are at least understandable. Amity Island is a resort and the vast part of the community's annual income arrives during the summer. He may take time to realise what's going on and do the right thing, but other films would have had him bury his head in the sand entirely, probably right up to the point where the shark swam up and swallowed him whole. (laughs) Then there's the sound. I often find that John Williams' scores can be very prescriptive, but his music is used surprisingly sparingly here, but to such fantastic effect. Because boy can Williams write a memorable theme. It's a fairly simple thing, but those notes on the cello instantly conjure up a feeling of dread and danger, and match perfectly the menace of the planet's oldest killing machine. And is there anyone who doesn't know it, or who can hear those chords and not immediately conjure up the image of a dark fin gliding through the water? Acting-wise, it's less remarkable. Most of the smaller roles are okay, though the mayor's, well, a bit crap really, but little stands out. The central trio of Roy Scheider, Richard Dreyfuss and Robert Shaw are much stronger, fortunately, and they really come into their own in the final third, when it's just them, a boat and Toothy McGee. And it's Shaw who's the real standout. The Man from Lancashire is in my favourite Bond film, and two of my favourite films from the 70s, the other being The Sting, lest you were wondering, but this is probably his finest hour. He's endlessly watchable as the crotchety shark hunter with the dry sense of humour and the tragic backstory. His demise, however, is rather disappointing, because every time I watch Jaws I want to see him go toe-to-toe, or should that be toe-to-fin, with the shark and punch it in the face. (laughs) And then there is, of course, the shark or Bruce, as it was affectionately named during the filming. Or rather, there isn't the shark, which is seldom seen, but whose presence is always felt. Part of that is no doubt due to the legendarily troubled production, with the giant rubber shark refusing to do what was needed of it most of the time. But in the tradition of the best monster movies, less is more, and we never need to see more than the triangular fin, or the shadow in the water, for that prehistoric dread of things with big teeth to present itself front and centre in our minds. It must be said, I guess, though, that it is the fake fish that is aged worst about Jaws, looking as it does almost comical in places, but it's what they had to work with at the time. I just think Jaws is an absolute and true classic. It just bombs along, it only shows you what you need to see at any given point, and uh, it's still so tense, even after you've seen it dozens of times as I have. But Scott, do you agree? Jaws isn't my favourite film, and I don't think when we were doing our top five, ten list, whatever it was back at the start of this podcast, that even came into contention. But you know, that said, it may be as close to a perfect film as I can think of, in as much as I don't think there's anything you could add to it, or take away from it, or for the most part change, that mm-hmm. would make it any better at all. Which I guess is... Somewhere between remarkable and miraculous <laughs> when you read what's actually happened. Uh, you you kind of wonder how much of this came out by design and how much of it was just like improvised workarounds and, uh, you know, on the spot. I mean, the, the script's been rewritten, what, the, the night before and everything like that is a, a classically troubled production, mm-hmm. but somehow it's produced something quite wonderful. Uh, <laughs> and it's, it's incredibly tense and it's just really the camaraderie that the, the main cast has is endlessly watchable as you say yeah it's it's really great yeah. i guess tastes have changed a bit to the point where even though you say john williams is restrained here i still think there's probably overused 
particularly in the calmer uh, moments. I don't think his score is particularly useful. But all that really does is kind of highlight the brilliance of the, well, as the closed caption subs would have it, menacing instrumental theme. <laughs> uh, and yeah, like you say, after the umpteenth watch, the shark doesn't look particularly convincing, especially when poor old Quint buys it. But that's like five seconds out of a two hour film or something that you could only improve with a time machine. And then I don't think there's any less convincing than some of the more recent films that we will even talk about in this episode. Mm-hmm. So it's very difficult to see where you could possibly improve the Jaws. It's it's really, really good. Yeah. Um, if you didn't know, you should watch it. It's good. Yeah, what you said is I'd actually intended to mention and forgot, but said about there's absolutely nothing I think you could take from this. It is there, mm. there is absolutely no fat in this film at all. Yeah. Um, and there's nothing I would think you would put in that would improve it. And yes, the, I think really the only thing that is a problem is the shark because, well, it's a big rubbery thing. Yeah. Um, and but I mean, actually, if if that shark was better, it would probably be a worse film. Possibly, if you'd showed yeah. more of it, I don't think it would make this film any better. The real genius of a lot of this film is you don't really know where the shark is. You know it's around. Yeah. And, and a lot of the time, the only clue you get is those barrels they've attached to it bobbing around the place. But even that's not an exact locator. Yes, um, you don't. That's, it's better to not know exactly where it is. Yeah. And yeah, you don't actually see all that much of the animatronic shark because there's there are just like shadows in the water and fins which yeah. aren't from the model. And then there's a few shots of real shark footage like when Richard Dreyfuss is in the cage yeah. <laughs> part of that's the prop but part of that is also just footage of a genuine shark which yeah. helps too it's just that when when it does surface a bit it kind of does especially the scene when uh, Roy Scheider is putting the chum into the water and yeah. he's turned away from the shark and the shark's head just appears and it, it doesn't look so much like a shark as a shark like thing that happens to be just floating there because there was a shark-like thing that happened to be just floating there. So it has a bit of, when you do see a close-up like that, it's a bit lifeless, I guess, would be the only way I can really think to describe it. Those are kind of few and far between, and it's such a economic film. Mm. Nothing there that doesn't need to be there, and it's just over the two-hour mark, but it absolutely bombs along. And again, because you're not even seeing the shark or anything like it for a while, there's just bits of the crowd sitting on the beach and Chief Brody's just getting really antsy, but nothing much is happening, but it still seems to just drag you along. There's always that tension there. Yeah. Um, without any hint of the child, you can't even see the sea for um, a large part of that scene at the, towards the beginning. And yeah, it's, it is just a fantastic film. I did find it interesting to find out that they were so intent on using that, well, not exactly stock footage of the, the cage being destroyed, that that is really the only reason why Richard Davis's character survived. Because yeah, the cage happened to be empty in that footage. And it was so good they needed to keep it in. So we needed to get him out of the cage somehow. It's one of the few instances where a bit of stock footage has caused rewrites to the script. <laughs> yeah, but that's... We've mentioned it in other films too, but you know, the sort of the art coming out of necessity and restriction sometimes. And mm-hmm. and that's great. Because it's not simply just the, the fortuitousness of something like that. It is creative people responding to that. Yeah, uh, you know, a less talented filmmaker would have either responded differently or not as well. Whereas yeah. Spielberg clearly had the, the chops early on to do that. And it's it's maybe he's forced into it, but that so often makes for a better film. And but you've still got to know what to do with with that restriction. Yeah, and thankfully they had a game cast as well because I think an awful lot of the dialogue was improvised or just improvised the night before that kind of thing. And you know, you know, famously the "Gonna Need a Bigger Boat" line is an improv which 
maybe the single best line in film history and <laughs> you know, just something off the cuff from Roy Schneider. So Yeah. And that's it. That scene's played so well too because mm-hmm. it is it's one of those things that's yeah, it's entered pop culture and the way it's used though, people talk it's never delivered in quite the same way because it's almost it's not quite throwaway in that scene. But it's because well, it's, he's it's, Shock. Yeah, because he's just he's backing slowly into the cabin um with Quint <laughs> is in the foreground and Ryshider's not looking at him, he's just sort of looking terrified out of the cabin door as he backs mm. slowly and it's like we're gonna need a bigger bow and it's <laughs> <laughs> it's just so well played. And yeah, with with it just being those three for the final third of the film, yeah, with just the sea as background, so I mean there's nothing to take your eyes away it's them on screen all the time and they work so well together and if that was partly improvised and i don't know it's everything seemed to be clicking for them at that point i think and it just seemed to go along really really nicely yeah it's a film that wound up you know famously over budget at the time and uh, i guess a lot of that was due to spielberg's insistence on shooting everything out at sea as well for the authenticity i guess yes the authenticity of it all which fair play to him for sticking to his guns i expect that <laughs> older, perhaps wiser heads wouldn't have done it and might have got the film made at a much more reasonable timescale, but uh, it wouldn't have had anything like the impact that it does, and deservedly it's the, one of the, the first blockbuster might well be the best of them. Uh, we, you could argue whether it, the, the concept of blockbusters has been a net positive for cinema, I'm not altogether sure that it has, but uh, certainly this film can't really be faulted for it, it's no. just a terrific outing. No, and it's just it's one of those things that is it's an overused word I think but Jaws is iconic yeah everything about it the music just the I mean sharks generally scared but just the, the that fin coming through the water the music and then that mm. poster and things oh, um, yeah. everything about it is just spot on unfortunately it did spawn some terrible sequels uh, <laughs> that's the trappings of success unfortunately but I mean really has there been anybody who has gone into the sea having seen Jaws it's not at some point just heard those chords on the cello even yeah. like distantly <laughs> in the back of their head like, and it's like just you're, you're not scared of the sea but it's, it's there it gets into you I think yes it is awfully awfully good and it's good and it's good to contrast with what we're going to talk about in a minute too it's like, they never need to embellish anything much yes the shark seems to pursue them I guess but it's never really presented as being anything other than a shark. Yeah, it's, not, it's just a very big and very strong shark, but there's nothing like massively out of the ordinary about it, other than that it's just a very big example of this very dangerous fish. Yeah, um, It's not super smart, it's not in some way magical or extra intelligent or anything. Yeah. And the fact that I hesitate to use the word realistic, but it's not so far beyond the bounds of that that it seems completely far-fetched yeah and yeah. all of that is what makes it so scary too because you're like yeah okay it's just a big shark and they don't say it's like bigger than anything there's ever been and it's not like something from mega shark versus giant octopus you know yeah. where the it's shark is about the, si- about the yeah. size of a super tanker and can also jump <laughs> the height of the golden gate bridge but um <laughs> no really watch mega shark versus giant octopus and just don't blame us later um, <laughs> The fact that it's, it's so within the realms of possibilities what makes a thing scarier. Yeah, so what we're saying is, Jaws is awesome, and if you've not watched it, you're really doing yourself a disservice. Yeah. <laughs> Concurred. Concurred. So, uh, a rather 
contrasting modern-ish outing comes in the shape of Deep Blue Sea, which, in rather stark contrast to Jaws, has absolutely no problem showing you its wares early on, <laughs> opening with a shark attack on a group of teens that's foiled only by the quick thinking and rugged good looks of Thomas Jane's Carter Blake, shark wrangler extraordinaire. <laughs> but who would have sufficient sharks as to require a full-time wrangler? Well, that would be Saffron Burroughs' Dr. Susan McAllister, who is a researcher into potential cures for Alzheimer's disease, who we're introduced to as she's being hauled over the coals by financial backer Russell Franklin, uh, Samuel L. Jackson, who threatens to shut her down due to the negative PR that something like shark attacks cause. See, other people have seen Jaws. Uh, She convinces him to give her one last shot, come with her to the offshore research complex and witness firsthand the experiment's success, or otherwise. Franklin agrees, and they chop her off to the island for the weekend, passing the bulk of the base's personnel going in the opposite direction home for the weekend. A skeleton staff remains, but apparently that's still all that are actually required to do the experiments that they're running here, so I think there might be some degree of overstaffing (laughs) in this facility that needs to be addressed later on. Ida Totoro's Brenda works in the comms tower, Michael Rappaport's Tom Scoggins seems to handle all of the engineering duties, while Stellan Skarsgård's Jim and Jacqueline McKenzie's Janice assist McAllister with the experiments. LL Cool J's Preacher rounds out the team as chef. He also had some other job previous to this, but it's not entirely made clear what it is. The facility is being used to harvest brain cells from sharks in order to treat human neurons. However, McAllister hides the secret of White House is able to harvest so many brain cells uh, quite close. It seems that their experiment has worked, but Jim lingers a little too long and a little too close to an irritated shark, losing an arm for his carelessness. His evacuation by chopper comes a cropper when, due to an unfortunately timed wild storm, the helicopter crashes into the facility, causing enough damage to uncage the facility's three sharks and keeping the boys at the Exploding Helicopter podcast happy. (laughs) They soon appear to be behaving smarter than your average shark, but the picnic basket that these aquatic bastards are after is made (laughs) of scientist flesh. Fictional Dr. McAllister has been genetically modifying the sharks in direct contravention of the fictional Harvard Compact, which I think was the original name for Facebook. (laughs) Uh, Can Carter and company escape the rapidly deteriorating facility and the ultra-smart sharks that are out for vengeance? Or will most of them reap the gene-meddling harvest? those god-defying, arrogant science folk, the evilest of all evils. And so it goes, in a fashion closer to a generic, explicit slasher film than Jaws' more reserved, suggestive take. Deep Blue Sea does not skimp on the violence, and from a modern standpoint, I have no idea if this film was ever meant to be taken seriously. I've only ever seen this as a scream-like parody of the genre, and as such I find this quite funny in a number of places. If, however... I was supposed to be taking LL Cool J <laughs> killing a shark with an oven because it ate his parrot, seriously, <laughs> then Deep Blue Sea fails hard. Now I've given this film the level of research that it deserves, which is to say cursory, but what interviews I've seen imply that this was in fact a serious attempt at a thriller. Yep. I reject this reality and replace it with my own, which is that it's a collection of entertainingly ludicrous set pieces with a similarly ludicrous concept and as such find this rather amusing indeed. The cast are fine, although no one's being stretched, apart from their CG doubles when the CG sharks get them. This is perhaps the element that ages it most, and while I lose track of how convincing it would be to its contemporaries, it's charmingly naff now. Still, it's better than the likes of Sharknado. Uh, It's saved from being entirely laughable by some pretty decent water tank work, proving that there's no substitute for nearly drowning a few stunt people in the convincing necessity stakes. That's a word, right? (laughs) This is a dumb film, 
And I'm not going to tell you that it's good, but it is entertaining, and that's enough to make it worth watching. Uh, the likes of Sharknado and Mega Shark versus whatever may have hammered the joke into the ground, but Deep Blue Sea got there first and did it better. Possibly entirely by accident, <laughs> but who cares about that? Yes, I saw this in the cinemas when it came out, and then very soon afterwards, actually, again in the cinema, and at the time found it really quite entertaining, but nearly 20 years is a lot of time to mature one's tastes <laughs> and have seen, you know, any number of better films. <laughs> so when I watched it again last week in preparation for this podcast, I was rather disappointed that I didn't enjoy it more. Now, the problem I had too was that I knew that it was meant to be taken seriously, so that was the mindset <laughs> which I was watching it. This did me no favours. <laughs> and one of the few saving graces is LL Cool J killing a shark with an oven. Because it's a man killing a shark with an oven. And and that's clearly can be nothing other than fantastic. But it ate his parrot, Drew. His parrot was a Yeah, it's not going to swear, but his parrot wasn't a pleasant <laughs> creature anyway. I'm quite glad his parrot got eaten. Because yeah, you say you'd give it some cursory examination, but I mean I do remember the tone at the time being that it was meant to be taken seriously and so much of the rest of it is in earnest. Um <laughs> I've very much come to the conclusion in my life that you shouldn't take anything Rennie Harlan does with any degree of seriousness, <laughs> and you'll get on a lot better in life. Oh, yes, yeah, yeah. so you don't want to forget that it is Rennie Harlan. It's um, a, a hack, really. <laughs> uh, how he managed to get Die Hard 2 and to not make it absolutely terrible, uh, because <laughs> he's not really got the skills to do this job well. But there are nods that make me think that at least not everybody at all points would take the thing seriously, because at one point, LL Cool J's Carter starts teaching you how to make an omelette, and I think... <laughs> Really? Really? Between that and some deaths that are clearly timed for comedy. Yes, uh, like Samuel Jackson too. Yeah. Unexpected that is though, because it is the biggest star in the film to have him chopped yeah. in half halfway through. <laughs> now, time hasn't been kind to the special effects in this film either. Oh no. No. Um, um, as I say, the CG's awful. I think the, I think the water tank work still stands up. There's only you know technology is not really improved. Just throwing lots of water at things, but yeah, the CG is um, not so good. Yeah. <laughs> I was um, watching this, I was posting a few comments about it on Twitter at the time, and I took a screen grab of the moment where Samuel Jackson gets eaten. Mm. And particularly <laughs> when you freeze it, it's, he looks like an action man doll. It's, yeah. it's really, really bad. And then I was mentioning Jaws that they just have this the shark who's well, it's hungry, so he sees food. And, you know, it's almost like the shark's persecuting them, but not really. There's no, you don't feel any intent there. She's an animal, and here is some food. Yeah. And maybe maybe it's like the noise of the boats or something, but here the sharks are vindictive. And I mean, they're one step away from basically being able to tap in codes into door locks with their nose. <laughs> you know, they've made them that kind of clever. It's just it's Is it so entirely ridiculous. wrong that I was actually rooting for the sharks during this film? I'd be wrong if you weren't, Scott. They were right to be angry about what had happened to them, and I, I fully supported their quest for revenge yes. against these people. So Right before Stellan Skarsgård loses an arm, they stuck an enormous needle into the shark's head. <laughs> I think the sharks <laughs> had reason to want to eat all the humans. I'm very much like moon the sharks. So <laughs> Yes, it's just not aged well. It's, I don't know, I mean, do we thank it or curse it for probably being what gave rise to the likes of Sharknado? Um, <laughs> although I think you probably couldn't blame anything in particular because as I said at the beginning, if you look at the list of creatures in films, sharks are way beyond anything else. Oh yeah, I mean, I gave up counting in that list when it got to, I think it got to maybe 50. Mm. There's a lot of shark films. There's a lot of shark there. films, yeah. And 
And sharks just seem to have this fascination for people. Because, you know, every year Discovery Channel has Shark Week. You know, an entire yeah. week of films or programs dedicated to sharks. So, And it's weird because, I mean, it's so disproportionate. The number of people actually hurt by sharks is very, very minimal. And most of the time, I kind of don't care because, well, you walked into the shark's front garden. No, humans don't belong in the sea. Get out. Don't blame the sharks. Um, idiot humans. Or if you're like, idiot humans going around in dressed in wetsuits, basically looking like shark lunch because they look like seals, which is what sharks like to eat. <laughs> so really, you can never blame the sharks. Yes, they do seem to have something of a, a fascinated hold on the human consciousness. I think we just have healthy respect for something that appears to be a teeth delivery system. <laughs> yes. Deep Blue Sea, though, it's... Whereas I would recommend that you watch Jaws and more than once, I don't think I could recommend that you watch Deep Blue Sea. It's just not good. It's not aged well. I don't know. I still enjoyed watching it. I thought it made me laugh. I know it wasn't supposed to be making me laugh, but it made me laugh, and I can justify that. I don't have much tolerance for ironically watching bad films anymore, but this one snuck under my defences and and tickled my fancy, so I I think it's it's just about worth watching, but certainly don't make any great effort to do so. Well, I mean, it's not it's not an awful film by any means. I mean, it's because it had a decent budget. It's like reasonably up just even though the CGI looks decidedly shonky, at least by today's standards. Yeah. And, you know, passable, at least cast. But I think probably I'm getting like you in that my tolerance for ironically watching bad films is definitely down because when we made the mistake of watching that Casper Van Dien film last week. <laughs> Best. Best film. Yes. Best film. Fire Twister. Yep. That, that was a really good idea. Uh, uh, yes, I find that my tolerance for that is definitely diminished. But mm. if you have any tolerance for that, then you really want to watch Mega Shark versus Giant Octopus instead. Because in Mega Shark versus Giant Octopus, the shark jumps out of the sea and eats like an airplane out of the sky. Like ten thousand feet, it happens. So, <laughs> if you can appreciate that sort of thing, then watch something considerably more stupid than this. <laughs> if you're just looking for a passable shark-based entertainment, then you could probably do worse than Deep Blue Sea. Yes. <laughs> you could probably do better than it, though, as well, is what we're saying. It's mm. highly middle-of-the-road at best. Yes, um, but though, as I mentioned about sharks having a hold on people's psyche, when we asked for some feedback about shark films, we got, I think, comfortably our largest amount of feedback for any topic we've covered ever. People love shark chat. Yes, people love them some big bitey fish. The Twitter loves sharks. Indeed, so that said, let's have a, a wee look at what some of the people were saying to us, Scott. Yes, let's start from the start. Nolan at NoLD0 recently watched 47 metres down recently. It's a decent shark film. That's not one that I've seen, but then it's, there's a there's an awful lot of shark films that I've not seen, as it turns out. I did not realise there was so many. I think a lot of them have gone under the radar, but maybe I will check. 47 metres down, out. Um, <laughs> so then we mentioned them earlier. Friends are exploding helicopter at Chopper Fireball. We're talking about Deep Blue Sea in particular. In my hat is... Um, <laughs> so, <laughs> I mean, in my hat is like a shark's fin. Deep Blue Sea has the most ridiculous and therefore greatest bespoke theme song ever. <laughs> it is brilliant. It's wonderful. Uh, this is the benefit of casting rappers in your uh, your, your movies. You, you will also get one bespoke garbage track to play at the end of it. So I can't. I really un- now understand why most directors cast rappers in films now. <laughs> so they can get terrible, terrible music for their end credits. It's great. Yeah. They did also go on to, well, technically not a shark film, but we'll let it pass because I think it's, it's very much in the same mould. Orca, 1977, is a very odd addition to the genre. The killer whale is out for revenge after its mate and child are killed, and the 
attempts to represent the whale's mind and create a psychic connection to Richard Harris are weird and unique. <laughs> yeah, I've not seen this one either, but I, I would actually look forward to it as a companion piece to, was it Brainstorm? Yeah, on, where a, Christopher Walken is trying to channel a monkey. Yes, yeah, so that's exactly connection. I replied to them on Twitter, Oak. exactly that yes. very thing, Scott. That, um, <laughs> yes, that made me, like, this, clearly this is a precursor to Christopher Walken channeling a monkey. Yeah. Um, <laughs> and must be watched. Uh, maybe that's that's our next yeah. compare and contrast, Orca and Brainstorm. Yes, yeah, so two films where people channel the mental images of various animals. I think that's... That's coming to us. Audio podcast near you soon. Also chiming in, it's uh, Stephen Nelson. That's Scott Sacked. Welcome back. Uh, good to hear from you again. He reckons that Jaws is one of the greatest films of all time. Robert Shaw deserved an Oscar. Uh, yes, yes, indeed he did. Also mentions, are we including Open Water, or The Reef, or The Shallows? Now, I've not seen The Reef at all. Open Water, I remember thinking was okay. Uh, a bit dull, maybe? And um, The Shallows, I've not seen, but uh, Craig very much swore us off that, so... Gave that a very negative review a few months back, if I recall. Yes, so, uh, uh, Craig was not enamoured of that film at all, <laughs> by yes. in any way, shape, or form. Yeah, but uh, with all these suggestions, there's certainly enough that we might actually have to come back and look at shark attack films in more detail. But uh, we'll see if that takes shape in a future point. And again, we have the rather self-deprecating Matt Toller at M Toller, who's currently going by the name Low Quality Tweets, who said. He saw Jaws way too early in my life. Robert Shaw spitting up blood at the end really, really messed with me on my mm. list of perfect films. So I agree with that last bit as Scott mentioned earlier too. There's nothing really you'd want to change with this film. Yeah. It may not be the best ever, although I mean, I think it's a really fantastic film, but yeah, there's it's rare to find a film that you can think of pretty much nothing that could be improved about it. Yeah. Um, at least in terms of like, the limitations it had when it was made too. As I mentioned earlier, the CGI, the, what would be CGI now or just a rubbery shark that didn't look quite so much like a big rubbery shark. But. Yeah, I mean, the only areas you can possibly think that, that Jaws is weak is that it's it's not saying much other than don't anger sharks. <laughs> but that's that's a valid message for this, these troubled times. You, you should always bear that in mind. Don't anger sharks. They've got lots of teeth and they're not afraid to use them. <laughs> okay, Sharks might be Matt's thing because he had quite a lot to say at this about it. Uh, he carries on to say... Deep Blue Sea isn't good, but I like it a lot. Nowadays, it'd be played for intentionally bad, which would undermine its fun. Scott's very much of the opposite opinion, but that if you try to take it seriously, it stops it being fun. But he's uh, the one, I guess. Uh, he says, I still get a chuckle when I think of my friend watching Deep Blue Sea with me saying, this movie should be called Smart Sharks. As I have pain to do to Matt, that would almost exactly be what it'd be called now or something equally as dumb and it'd be Wi-Fi enabled did you just know it? it would connect to your home thermostat yeah, you, could, it, you could change the temperature of the shark <laughs> from your smartphone and change the lighting colour as well yes <laughs> but you just know the sharks would be clever enough to hack into your Wi-Fi network and open doors and things <laughs> by going backwards oh, jailbroken smart shark the worst, <laughs> of all, the worst of all things then Matt responded to exploding helicopters tweet about Orca, just to mention that that damn orca chomping Bo Derek's leg gave me some nightmares as a kid. Mm. I think Matt had some bad experiences with these water-based films as a child. Yes, uh, Matt also mentions that he'd be interested to hear people's thoughts on Jaws 2, which he likes, or remember liking. It's been a while. I don't actually know if I've seen any of the Jaws sequels, to be honest. I, I swore off at one, but I believe that was yourself going back and saying, is, is that the one with all the electricity? And yes. That's as much as I remember. I know I've seen Jaws 2, um, because I remember it being killed with electricity. And I've seen bits of the one with Michael Caine, but never all of it, because I, it's just Michael Caine was in some very, very bad films. Um, that this was one shark of belongs to the Pakistani ambassador. <laughs> it's okay. I'm not a shark. <laughs> I'm not even attempted to do a Michael Caine impression, because I can't do them. So, 
You were only supposed to blow the bloody fins off. This is an Africanized killing shark. <laughs> yes. So we're going to rattle here, isn't it? Which film does Joss eat a helicopter? That is apparently Joss too, if I read that tweet right. That I don't remember. <laughs> <laughs> and he brings a lot of people say open water is boring, but he thought it conveyed the hopelessness of that situation adequately, because he's in no hurry to rewatch. That's largely all I can remember of it, is there's a lot of people bobbing up and down in the water and being very upset and shouting at each other for a bit. And uh, I remember it being... I think I'm probably on board with what you're saying there, but I remember it being adequate in the cinema, but I, I remember thinking I have no reason to ever revisit that film. And it was an interesting experiment that um, doesn't have any real legs to it, I think. I can People seem to have watched a lot of terrible shark films. Uh, clearly, we're not alone there. I think it seems that in this genre, Jaws rather stands apart because all other shark films are terrible. Yeah. <laughs> uh, Tom Fredo, at Tom Fredo on Twitter, says, I'm not sure if this is really... A- a confession, a, a boast, or a cry for help. I, I'm going for the third one. I own a copy of Shark in Venice starring Stephen Baldwin and Scarlett Johansson's less talented sister. It is prime shit and I love it. It sounds like a Saturday Night Live sketch more than it does an actual film. I'm not sure this really exists. Does it star James Belushi as well? Because that would be really be the trifecta. Shark in Venice. It doesn't sound good, does it? Um, although, I mean, it's not... I Ever since I discovered its existence at the beginning of the week... I have definitely been trying to find a copy of Snow Shark because <laughs> I am so tickled by the idea of, of a shark that can swim through snow. And I know it will be the worst thing I've ever seen, but I must see it. <laughs> wow. Shark in Venice, though, it, it does have a rating of 2.5 out of 10 on IMDb. That that's a really exactly hard. like the sort of film I would like. <laughs> that's a really, really hard rating to get to be that low, even in IMDb. Oof. He does go on to say that it's way more entertaining than Deep Blue Sea and Orca. It's Jaws the Revenge Bad with Romanian extras and terrible CGI. Yes, I'm in there. That's, that's what I want. I need to make this a Snow Shark double bill. A snow Shark and Shark in Venice. <laughs> oh, Craig, I have just looked at the poster, though. And the poster is the Jaws poster with the words changed. That's... <laughs> I, oh, dear. Oh, crikey. Yes. And what it is about sharks, it just brings out the worst in everything, really. <laughs> uh, there's some follow-up chat on Jaws 2, but the, the sequel it will not go away. Um, <laughs> Stephen Nelson, I think, is posting one of the clips from it, just when you thought it was safe to go back in the water. There's that shark again. Oh, it's just, you just can't get rid of it. Craig, who you may remember from podcast Passion, <laughs> at Gregory on Twitter. If you're not following that guy, you should do. He'll be back soon. Craig, who um, you may remember from us. Yes. <laughs> he always kind of liked Jaws 2. Say, ah, is a bit silly, though. Matt Toller again agrees that Jaws 2 has ominous stuff in it, but the only thing that's really wrong with it is that it's completely unnecessary, which yes. I suppose I, I just judge, take but. issue with Matt's use of the word only. <laughs> and as a kid, he never knew what Brody was doing with his bullets near the beginning. He looked it up. He's putting cyanide into hollow points. I assume that was from Jaws 2. I don't remember that happening in the first film. No, Maybe it doesn't happen in the first film. But, um, no. <laughs> I uh, think, I don't remember the Jaws sequels at all part of the electricity. I really think because Jaws is such a pretty much perfect film, I really don't want to sully my memory of it anymore by going back and revisiting these um, sequels, which I suspect are not anywhere near as good. Yeah, it, it seemed to say all the, the giant shark thing could genre has to offer which is avoid giant sharks uh, there's not much embellishment needed although i have seen a few i would say some analysis of jaws that is perhaps stretching the point i i know you can you can apply whatever you like whatever theories you like to any film you like but i think at the point where you try and claim that this is some example of uh, marxian society where quint represents the spiritual nature 
out of man and I think maybe you're stretching it's just a film with a giant shark that eats people there's not much more depth to it than this nor does there need to be like, no. please don't start trying to read stuff into Jaws I mean, what's so good about Jaws is that it's so simplistic because that's yeah. it's just a perfect it's like a shark it's just this perfect lean machine you know that's why Jaws works so well please stop adding this nonsense and one point I think we can all agree on from Matt Toller to us and Stephen one more thing that's wrong with Jaws 2, not enough of those annoying high school kids get chopped on. And as you say, something we could just be implied to life in general, rather than just that film in particular. Yes. yes uh, so, sharks. People love sharks. Yes, people <laughs> totally love them some sharks. Uh, yes, <laughs> we appreciate the feedback very much. It's nice to talk to you all. We would just like welcome it for <laughs> all the other episodes where we care more about it. But We would like to announce the uh, change of our podcast name. We are now going to be called Films on Sharks. <laughs> And we will be covering every shark film for the foreseeable future. We have 52 episodes of shark-based films to go on, so we hope you look forward to this somewhat new podcast. It's a new direction for us, but I'm sure you'll support it. Yes. Sharks okay, on no, film. It will be yes. just um... <laughs> uh, There is actually a long enough list that we could go for several years at our current schedule <laughs> of having a different shark film each episode. Yeah. <laughs> yes. Ah, sharks. They do seem to capture the imagination, don't they? Yes. Yes. Okay. Uh, I think that brings us to the end of our shark chat for this episode. Thank you again very much for getting in contact with us. If you have been affected by any of the issues in this film, by issues, of course, I mean sharks. Consult <laughs> medical attention. Maybe employ one of Harry Hill's shark detector vans. <laughs> uh, there's an obscure reference that most of you will never even begin to understand, but I don't care. Yes, if you've been affected by any of the issues in this, please feel free to contact us. You can contact us by email podcast at fudsonfilm.com twitter twitter.com slash fudson on facebook facebook.com slash fudsonfilm if you have anything interesting to say any feedback any shark related anecdotes even please get in contact us we look forward to hearing from you and no I don't know what to say uh, <laughs> and bye and bye yes uh, enough sharks for today fairly well be good to yourselves and each other bye. and sharks because really they're not bad they are, however, tasty. I've just remembered playing shark, and on that pointless anecdote, bye bye. <laughs>